Hi everybody, this is Andrew from Therefore I Geek. Don't be alarmed, you are in fact listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast. It just happens that the first several episodes we recorded went by the name Random Thought Generator. We changed the name starting with episode 9, but decided not to go back and try changing everything about the old episodes. So, without further ado, enjoy this episode of Therefore I Geek. You are listening to Therefore I Geek's Random Thought Generator Podcast, episode number one, Comic Book Influences. Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. And this is Therefore I Geek's Random Thought Generator Podcast. Random Thought Generator is a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about basically whatever we want to talk about. Uh, be it movies, be it books, be it comics, anything in geek culture, whatever random thoughts pop into our head is what we're going to talk about. Today we're going to be picking up where we left off about a month, month and a half ago, and we're going to be talking about our comic book influences. So I don't think Tracy and I are all that dissimilar for most people who got their start taking a look at comics, not so much with the comic books, but a lot more with comic strips out of the newspaper. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, the first... It's a little different for me because I kind of grew up in a a more sheltered environment. So I really wasn't allowed to read comic books when I was early, um, mostly because of the very buxom women. So uh, I got my my favorite comic strip when I was a kid. The very first introduction that I had to comics was Calvin and Hobbes, which I, of course, I loved. It it rings true, I think, with a lot of people because it's just very relevant and it's relatable. and then I also, I really like the comic Zits, uh, which is about a kid named Jeremy, and he's about 15 years old, and he goes through high school, and he kind of hates his parents, but his parents are awesome at the same time, and he kind of has a girlfriend, he doesn't really know what to do with her. So I, again, very relatable, but it's it's definitely like a newspaper comic strip. Um, and actually, my mom's favorite comic strip is Dagwood, which I never understood that. I guess it's more of an adult type of comic strip, but she would tell me this. Maybe aside from Dagwood's fantastic sandwiches. Right, right. The sandwiches, of course. And then, um, but her her favorite thing to do is read all of the comics in the Sunday paper and then read that one last because she said it always made her laugh, which I, I just, I mean, as a kid, I never really understood that. I think the adults uh, get the jokes a little bit more than the kids do. Well, I mean, obviously they know adults also will read the newspaper more than kids do so they, t- they tend to be a little bit more of adult jokes but I, I completely agree you know i read a lot of calvin and Hobbes book not so much in the in the newspaper but a lot of the books mm-hmm. um when they were in print uh you got them from the libraries over summers and things like that and i always loved the uh the maniacal evil snowman <laughs> that, that that calvin used to make and uh things like that yeah. or um a couple of my favorites garfield oh, uh, a yeah. huge fan of Gar- I mean, i'm a big cat person in general but absolutely love garfield uh, the lasagna eating, the coffee, the sleeping, the you know beating up on poor Odie, saying, <laughs> sending Nermal to Abu Dhabi. I love that. So Nermal is my favorite, actually. I love I love the strips where he he's with Nermal. That's poor, awesome. Poor, poor, poor Nermal. Um, kind of as an adult now, I think one of my favorites is Pearls Before Swine. It's a fairly twisted one. Uh, I've actually had a Pearls Before Swine calendar uh, daily calendar for the last three years, which is wow. it's a little it's a little bit of a feat for me because I don't. I barely pay attention to like a monthly calendar, let alone a daily one at work where I you know, tear off the pages. But three years running now, I've, I've been pretty good with that. Nice. Uh, another big one is, is, the, is the far side. But my dad's got a pretty warped sense of humor. I was lucky enough to get that from him as well. 
I think the far side is either something that you love or something that you hate. Yeah. There's nobody that just kind of likes the far side. You either love it or you just don't like it at all. Right. And if you love it, there are very specific ones you can think of in certain instances. And, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, man, I remember that one. That one's, that one's great. You know, those kind of things. Like, my parents used to send me uh, the far side books when I was in, in college to kind of cheer me up sometimes when things would get kind of down. So that was always enjoyable. And, yeah, like I said, I, I really enjoy that kind of warped sense of humor. Um, my first encounter with real comic book universes were the encyclopedias from Marvel and DC. They were really big, hardback, almost coffee table style books that just had... Right, yeah. Yeah. Then they had the different characters and a little bit about them and a little bit about their histories. We would just pour over these in the library because, again, we weren't really allowed to read comic books very much. So we'd sit in the library. Yeah. We'd sit in the library and read through these encyclopedias, which was pretty dry when you think about it. But, I mean, we were enthralled. Um, But then my first encounter with the um, kind of the graphic novel style or the comic book style were Tintin, of course, and then Asterix and Obelix. So if I can interrupt you for just a second, I'm I'm not familiar with it. Could you explain real quick what Asterix and Obelix is? Oh, okay. Asterix and Obelix is a French cartoon, and they're French comics that have been translated from the French to English. It's about a Gaulish or French village resisting Roman occupation, and the entire series is literally just about puns. And, I mean, Asterix and Obelix is a play on Asterix and Obelisk. And the entire thing is funny because it's just a series of puns. And what I find most interesting about it now is that when it was translated from the French to the English, a lot of the puns in the original language were lost. And the English translator was smart enough to insert English puns, which is really cool. He said a lot of the time things get lost in translation like that. Absolutely. And it's nice when somebody can can go ahead and put those in, has the wherewithal to do it. Uh, it It helps improve upon the content. And it's just, it made for a hilarious comic. I definitely recommend it even now as an adult. And then, of course, Tintin was hilarious to at least to 12-year-olds. And so my mom always said that she would know when we had just gotten a new set of Tintin books from the library because we'd be in our rooms very quietly. And then all of a sudden she'd hear giggling and she knew that we were reading the next Tintin book. So that was kind of my first foray into that kind of thing. And then um, I have to tell this because this is my first encounter with real comic books, I guess. I, I guess when I was a late teenager, 17, 18, I had my first real job and I decided to do something really nice for my little brother. So I bought him... A couple of trades of the amazing spider-man and i started with one and two and i gave them to him and he thought that they were great so then after that every couple of weeks when i get a paycheck i'd go buy him one i mean they were fairly expensive for a teenager they're i think 25 bucks a piece roughly and a couple of years later so he had a few he had kind of gathered up a few of these my mom found them and went through with a sharpie and drew little extra shirts on all the women and covered up all the swear words and the semi-swear words that were in there. I mean, like every gosh would be scrawled through with a sharpie. And of course, it bled through to the other page, so totally ruined the books. I was so angry about that. Right. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. It was pretty, I was pretty miserable. Yeah. So I didn't really get back into comics really in any way, shape, or form until my senior year of college, February or so 
we weren't doing a whole lot, and my friend Chris was going to the New York Comic Con, so I kind of just tagged along. Well, that wasn't very far from your college either, was it? No, no, it was, that wasn't far, but I had, I had no idea it even existed until another friend was like, oh yeah, Chris is going, and I'm like, I'm not doing anything, can I come? Tickets were inexpensive, it was the, the second year New York Comic Con was going on. Yeah, I picked up a, a couple of little things there, um, Marvel 1602, uh, uh, Transformers trades, because I still enjoy Transformers even as an adult, but there wasn't a whole lot to it. And then I started picking up bits and pieces. It was right as Civil War was wrapping up, so I picked up some of that. One of the big ones that I picked up was Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. Mm. Uh, that summer, I picked up a few graphic novels, probably the, the biggest among them, aside from maybe Watchmen. Everyone loves Watchmen, but it's good, but it's not my it's not one of my favorites. Dark Knight Returns, however, it really got me back into Batman. You know, Batman Begins had, had happened. Uh, Dark, the movie? Yeah, Batman, Batman Begins, yeah, the movie. Yeah. But Dark Knight hadn't happened yet. Uh, which really, I think, is what set that film franchise off. But I had never thought of Batman in the kind of the Dark Knight thought. I mean, Batman, there, there's two schools of thought for Batman. There's the Cape Crusader and then there's the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, as a kid, I kind of missed out on the Batman the Animated Series. Uh, it was it was out when I just wasn't watching it when it was out. Since I missed out on it, it didn't really do anything for me. Most of my impressions of Batman were from the, the old Adam West Batman series. You know, it's real campy, the, the cheesy costumes, the... The camera's tipped on their side so they look like they're climbing up a wall, that kind of stuff. And I had no no concept that Batman could be this just this hardcore, grizzled, old, gritty man who'd been fighting crime for years and given it up because he just he couldn't do it anymore. And then he comes back. And then the story itself is just fantastic. It is very gripping. Of course, there's Frank Frank Miller's political commentary, which I love I love his work, but the man's slightly out of his mind. So I had the, you know, this new experience with Batman, and then from that point I just I dove in. I got Dark Knight Strikes Back, Batman Year One. I started, you know, really trying to find as much of the Batman stuff as I could. I see, obviously, some of it's better than others, but that really kind of directed me to the DC side of the house. Um, so right about the same time I was getting back into Batman, I was also getting back into the X Men. You know, as a kid, I had watched the the '90s X Men cartoon, and based on the Jim Lee, Chris Claremont characters, I picked up a lot of the old Chris Claremont storylines, the Phoenix Saga, Dark Phoenix, all that kind of stuff. That was fun, but I wasn't like a diehard man. I love the X Men. I also enjoyed the X Men right around the same time, but for me. When I got out on my own and about age 19, I started watching the movies. And the movies really shaped my idea of the Marvel Universe. At the time, X-Men 1 and 2 were out and they were on cable. So I would watch those. At the time, those were really the best uh, Marvel movies that were out there. Fox had all the rights. You had the Fantastic Four. You had the X-Men series. Ghost Rider came out not too long after that. And a lot of those were kind of not very good. Uh, But the X-Men were still pretty pretty strong. And I loved them. I know that... There's a little bit of controversy over them now, but ugh, I love them. So but getting back to the comic books, uh, I was working an internship in Manhattan, and I picked up a copy of X-Men 199 at a newsstand on my way in. And then I read it, and it was great. You know, it, was, uh, <laughs> it had Rogue, who's always been one of my favorites. It had Cable, who is my absolute favorite X-Man, despite, you know, Rob Liefeld. I never knew that Cable was your favorite X-Man. I guess I thought it was Wolverine. I think everyone loves Wolverine, but still not, not quite the favorite, I would say. There's some great stories of Frank Miller's Wolverine work and whatnot, but definitely by far the, the favorite is Cable. I don't think I liked Frank Miller's Beast. I think everybody knows that my favorite X-Man is Beast, but I wasn't a big fan of Frank Miller's depiction. Now, getting back to the comics, there were a couple of other books I was into in and around that same time. When I went home, probably for Easter, I guess, um, after New York Comic Con, I started picking up the Star Wars Clone Wars series, 
I'm a huge, <laughs> nice. huge Star Wars fan. Huge Star Wars fan. And this is kind of nice because it, it filled in the gaps kind of between episodes two and three and then picked up a little bit of the between the very end of episode three going towards episode four, but not really getting anywhere near it. So in nine volumes in trade, the art's okay. The stories are okay, but it's Star Wars. You know, it's Anakin, it's Obi-Wan. They're swinging lightsabers. They're cutting down cutting down droids. There's clones. It's great. Nice. You know, it's, it's a lot of action. Not a whole heck of a lot of plot. There was actually, there was um, one really good, actually, plot with um, Jedi Master Voss. They send him undercover and, and he goes to um, Darth Sidious. And he kind of crosses over to the dark side and kind of does it. And he's got to come back. But there's a whole lot of other things that kills another Jedi in the process. And that I actually thought was kind of compelling and reasonably well written. But a lot of it was just action. Was that your first big volume of comics outside of the traditional Marvel and DC? Uh, yes, but I, I don't necessarily associate that with being that. Okay, gotcha. Um. Yeah, yeah there's, there were some some graphic novels in there. Obviously, because a Watchmen put out by DC, but it's not your standard, you know, DC Trinity kind of stuff. The other the other big one, V for Vendetta, which is a Vertigo um, publication. The movie came out. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I loved Hugo Weaving, and of I like course. I like the the Guy Fox bits and pieces. And people shouldn't be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. That was a great line. I mean, it's it's food for thought. It's interesting, at least. It was. Yes, um, it is. Um, my first one outside of the traditional Marvel and DC was uh, Atomic Robo, which we've talked about on our blog before. It, it's great. We've met the creators. They're wonderful guys. They're really funny. They're a little burned out the last time that we talked to them, but uh, it had been a long confer- uh, convention, so I understood that. Yeah, but I mean, it, I mean, New York Con is, is, is overwhelming for, for us as attendees. I can only imagine just the absolutely the insanity it is for those people who are there as as writers or artists or exhibitors. I can they they did summon a little excitement when we were talking about it though, so that was kind of nice. Yeah, and, that was nice. Um, and I also their their visceral reaction to my mention of the old Big Apple cons just still <laughs> yeah. is is amusing the hell out of me. Yeah, um, absolutely. That was a good time. But so yeah, Atomic Robo was probably my first. And then of course, basically through your influence, I did the Saga thing too, which I actually, I like Saga. I have my own opinions about the art, but. Well, and I mean, the art's not your thing, but. Well, you, Brian you... Kate Vaughn's writing is phenomenal. Yeah. And he touches on a lot of very relevant topics to what's going on today. I mean, child trafficking and of course, interracial dating or marriage and a whole host of topics that are very, very relevant. I know, absolutely. When you get into Brian K. Vaughan's other work, he, he, he does tend to be topical, but it tends to be very, very impressive conceptual work. And because I'm a word geek, I, his vocabulary and his ability to twist the language and just really excellent writing. I just, I really enjoy his writing style. Absolutely. I, I mean, I would love to know where Saga's heading, but I don't really care. I'm along for the ride. Does right. It, ma- it doesn't matter where. I'm on. I'm, bo- I'm on board. Let's go. So you'd asked me a minute ago if I associated Clone Wars as kind of the first non-Marvel, non-DC series that I got into. And while it's probably true that that was the first series, the one I associate most with not, uh, being my first series away from the big two is Transmetropolitan. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the, the Warren Ellis crazy kind of story. Who's the publisher on that one? That is Vertigo. Sa- same people who did um, Preacher and that kind of stuff. So Transmetropolitan basically follows around a journalist, Spider Jerusalem, who is kind of loosely based on Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, it's great. The beginning, he comes down out of the sh- shack in the mountains, very um, Unabomber, uh, Ted Kaczynski-esque, maybe a little Charles Manson kind of makes it. The big, giant beard, long hair, 
comes into his publisher like a like a raving maniac, gets told he's got to finish these couple books he promised to do. So they set him up with a craptastic little apartment. Goes, jumps in the shower, and apparently in, in the near future, showers can also, you know, shave you and whatnot. And he comes out looking like uh, Hunter S. Thompson. My friend Chris, uh, knowing I'm a big Hunter S. Thompson fan, had recommended the books to me. And you ended up naming your cat after the main character, didn't you? Yes, I did. Um, Spider is is one of my cats, who actually happens to be sitting at my foot at the moment. So yeah, Chris introduced me to it. Uh, I picked up the first trade paperback pretty quick, and in rapid succession had spent far more money than I should have, and over the course of six or seven weeks, I think. Story of my life. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Over the, over the course of six or seven weeks, I had purchased and read all of the Transmetropolitan <laughs> trades. <laughs> nice. Also much to the chagrin of Chris, because at the time they were between printings, so I picked them all up, and shortly thereafter, he was unable to find them. (laughs) Uh, Also, story of people's lives. Yeah, really. One of the titles that really got me into the the image books is Pax Romana, uh, Jonathan Hickman. And I kind of got a little bit of Hickman to start uh, early in his Fantastic Four run. I I started getting into Fantastic Four. And then I found this other material that he did, and it was fantastic. Nightly News is the one he's probably most well-known for of, of this other stuff. It's good. My personal favorite, though, was, was, was Pax Romana. The art style is very, very different. A lot of computer-esque animation. I believe I believe Hickman's a graphic designer as well as a, a writer, and I, there's a lot of graphic design kind of influence in the art. And it's it's a it's a unique story. Basically, the uh, the Catholic Church quietly been investing huge sums of money in science. They determine that time travel is possible, and they send a team back in time to go prevent the the splitting of the Catholic Church. To basically, <laughs> unite the That's world fantastic. under the under the Catholic Church. Wow! So no great schism. Yeah, um, they actually go back all the way to the Roman Emperor Constantine. Oh, so there's not even a Council of Nicaea or whatever. No, I mean we, we go way, way back. Wow! And they come back with modern technology. So instead of instead of the Emperor Constantine winning this um, fantastic victory, he in, instead it, it, they're beaten back by a couple of Apaches and some guys and Humvees. Wow, that's yeah. fantastic. That's and that's a little different because I think that most of the time travel stuff that's going on right now is all about don't change the past. You know, go visit it, go take a look at it, but don't change it because things um, you could really mess up the the present day and the future and all that stuff. So it's kind of neat to see something where they're deliberately trying to take back modern technology and deliberately change the course of history. Yeah, it, it, they do base it base it on the idea of you know when you go back in time and change it, you create a divergent timeline. So the existing timeline kept going on. So they're parallels. Well. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, and, and of course, obviously, things don't go toward go to plan. Things go badly. Of course. Think, yeah, things take a left turn almost immediately. But it, it's, a, it's a really, it's a fantastic read. That sounds interesting. Now you got me wanting to go read it when I have time, which I don't ever have time. To wrap things up, I think that we're going to really quickly just tell you what we're looking at right now. I mean, what's the soup du jour? What are you doing right now, Andrew? Uh, so right now I am reading Ready Player One. Uh, about 200 pages into the, it's about 350 pages. And this book is becoming extremely engrossing. Uh, I'm loving every minute of it. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens. Y- you kind of figure that, yeah, the good guy's going to win in the end, but there's going to be going to be twists and turns in here that I have, I just won't see coming and I can't wait. And that, of course, is opposed to, you're in the middle of Game of Thrones, aren't you? Right, yeah. And so when I wrap up that. Or, so sorry, I, Song of Ice and Fire. My bad. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, so I finished up uh, Clash of Kings, and I read fairly slowly, so I kind of wanted to break it up a little bit. I did a couple smaller books. I did I did Foundation, 
I did a book called of Dice and Men, which is the history of Dungeons and Dragons, which was also a fantastic book. I can't cannot recommend that enough. And then I'm reading and I'm reading Ray Player One. And once I'm done with that, I'll go ahead and jump into Storm of Swords and hopefully Yeah, that's uh, you're get, that's a crazy ride. You are gonna love that book. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping to get caught up far enough that I'm at least where se- season three of Game of Thrones left off. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Again, I'm a slow reader, and so we'll see. And I understand, you know, it's not a, it's not a complete linear lineup here. I'm sure there's some parts taken from a little bit further in the book, and some parts taken earlier. Oh, in the show, yeah, yeah. absolutely, so, yeah. They definitely have done some major editing. It's a lot different than the series. But hopefully, by the time we start season four, I'll be pretty well caught up, and won't you know completely lose my mind you when got things happen. Six weeks. You got to get it done. For 1,200 pages, I'm right. <laughs> so not gonna happen. Okay, so for me, I mean, I spend a lot of time reading assigned reading, so that's kind of lame. But uh, at the moment, I am actually we just went to a couple of our local comic book stores and picked up some stuff. So I'm working on the Amazing X Men. This is a five issue. Um, oh, it's a five issue story arc. I don't know. It's a five. I don't know. That yeah. It's a five issue. I think that's going to be that. That staying is an ongoing. I believe. Oh, the Amazing X Men. Yes, it is. It's just the this particular story arc is called the Quest for Nightcrawler, and it's we're three issues into a five issue story arc. And then I and just some... picked up the new Serenity comic book from Dark Horse, and that this is just a continuation of, of course, the Firefly series, which I'm obsessed with. And last but not least, uh, highly recommended, I am reading Lock and Key. I just picked up the first trade, Welcome to Lovecraft, and it comes wildly recommended by everyone who's read it. So um, apparently Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. Is that what Pete was saying earlier? That's, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I was understanding him to say. But So that's quite interesting. And then the other thing that I'm kind of reading, I typically don't read slowly, but I have been. The Diversionary War, Domestic Unrest, and International Conflict, which sounds a little deep, but then you realize, <laughs> I know. Uh, it's written actually by my professor Amy Oakes and she's my professor for international security so it's going to be it's probably about nukes she loves nukes yeah I, I'm looking forward at some point I've got to read Lock and Key and um, I think I'm an issue or two but there's only like three issues out but I think I'm an issue behind on Amazing X-Men uh, the first issue is great there's some some fun with the Banffs Nice. Yes, I saw that in there. I was flipping um, through it earlier. They, they may or may not steal Beast's coffee pot. Oh, which, yeah, that's. I'm excited. Don't steal, don't steal people's coffee pots. So not Beast's for sure. So again, folks, this is the Random Thought Generator podcast from Therefore I Geek. Come check us out at thereforeigeek.com, facebook.com/slash thereforeigeek, or on Twitter at thereforeigeek. She complicated. Baby called Katie, left me a mule to ride.